Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. All right, eat the scroll. Part three here. Eat the scroll part three. Ezekiel chapter three has been our text. And uh, I'm going to read it to you again. You're probably going to get sick of it. But this is the last week. It says, and he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth. And he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving to you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. This has been the thesis of our entire series that what God gives to us to eat is to fuel our assignment. So he says, I want you to eat the scroll. And then I want you to go speak. God will never ask you to do something that he's not equipped you to do. And the scroll, the word, is what empowers us and what equips us. Most believers that are ill-equipped have not read or studied the word of God adequately. Because written in this book is everything you need for the assignment that God's asking you to step into in your life. Now, we've, we've used another scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 16 and 17. And, and, and this one really redefines how you look at scripture Because the scripture talks about the scripture in in, in this verse. And it says in verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. So not only is every single scripture God-breathed, but every single scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you know that God wants you to be thoroughly equipped? And we say, man, we need another series, we need deeper, we need another teaching. Do you know how really the way that you can be adequately equipped, thoroughly equipped, is through the Word of God? All Scripture is God-breathed. And we talked about this when we were talking about the culture of generosity. We were talking about uh, some of the the Old Testament scriptures, uh, specifically uh, in Malachi. It's talking about the tithe. And and people say, well, that's Old Testament. And the, the problem is that then we went back to this scripture here in Timothy, and it says, all scripture is God-breathed. And you know what's interesting in Malachi, which I, I, I think it's wild, it says, before it said, talks about the tithe, and it's the only part of the, in scripture where it says, test me in this. Before it says that, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. And that's the one that we try to say, well, I don't know if, I, I think God changed his mind on that one. Right after he says, I don't change. And then in 2 Timothy, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, so that you may be thoroughly equipped. Now today, we are going to wrap this up, and I believe God's going to speak right to you and right to the situation that you're in. John chapter 6, I'm going to read you um, a, a little passage of scripture here, starting in verse 57, and it says this, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live. Some of the wildest things that Jesus said are right here in this scripture. He says, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, and on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? 
Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one could come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, my favorite disciple. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Simon Peter says, where are we supposed to go? You've got the words of life. I know it's a hard word. I know it's hard to understand, but you have the words of life. Where are we supposed to go? And this scripture, it's, it's interesting, because, and it kind of parallels Ezekiel 3 because it's talking about the word that we must eat. He says that, 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 that Jesus says, you've got to eat me, which some of the disciples were like, all oh, right, I'm out. Like, this, this is, now we're stepping into cannibalism, and this is like getting wild. And, and so, like, I can't handle this word. And Jesus said, some of you can't handle this. But they didn't know what Jesus was saying was not that they would actually eat of him, but the Bible says in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh. It says that he is the bread from heaven. He says, whoever eats and drinks of me shall have eternal life. So he's saying, you've got to consume this word. You've got to eat this word, and this is what fuels your life. And it was a process of discovery for the disciples to learn that Jesus had the words of life. Now, they walked with Jesus for a long time, but it took them a while to learn and to believe. See, some, some of you read the Bible for a long time. And reading the Bible is so important. The word is life. The word is power. But there is a process of discovery that happens in the word where the word that is life really becomes life to you. And you believe it. Because you can know the word and not believe it. You can read the word and not apply it. There, there, there's this process of, of, of discovery that happens in the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says, What you heard from me... Keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's saying that we've got to guard what has been entrusted to us. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're in a fight. This life is a fight. And, and, and this command from Paul to Timothy is that we've got to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted in you. I don't know if you ever went through anything in your life. But when, when you're shaken, the Bible teaches us that what can be shaken is shaken. You, you, you really don't know who you are until you've been in a fight. You really don't know what you believe until you've really went through a dark season. You really don't know what you are and what you're made of until you've went through some pain. And in those times, you really find out what you believe about God and really what you depend on in those times of shaking. And Paul says to Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. 
I've been looking at this scripture because I, I just recently, uh, I told you I, my, my grandmother passed away, and uh, I, was, I was speaking at her funeral on, on Friday night, and uh, I was there uh, in Seattle and, and speaking at her funeral, and God showed me these things from 2 Timothy that was exactly like my, gran- my grandmother. My grandmother, you just got to understand this about her, she was one of the boldest people that I know. And when I say bold, I mean she witnessed to anyone and everyone. I mean, she never met a stranger, and she was going to tell you about Jesus. She was known for picking up the phone when telemarketers would call her. And before they could get their pitch out, she had turned around and said, let me tell you about Jesus. And let me tell you about what he's done in my life. This is not a joke. This is real. These things happen. I was, I was uh, shopping with her, grocery shopping one day, and I was, uh, we, uh, we were there, and it was just us at the grocery store, and, and uh, my grandma, she didn't like to talk about a lot of different things besides the Lord. It was it. So when I was young, at, at times, I was like, you know, can we talk about anything else? But she was busy drilling me and, and uh, using examples to teach me, and, and so we're in the grocery store, and, and we're checking out, and, uh, and so I grabbed the gra- groceries, and uh, one of the guys there says, do you need help with your bags? And, uh, and I'm grabbing the bags, and, and, and uh, I said, no, we're good. And she stops me, and she says, no, Dustin, we do. <laughs> and I said, no, we don't. There's two bags. Like, I, I, I have this. And she goes, no, no, we do. I was not picking up what she was trying to tell me, but she was trying to tell me she wants to talk to this poor, innocent young man. So, I mean, I had to be like 15 years old, and I'm like, what? Like, like, and so this kid that's working there picks up the groceries that I could have carried, but we follow him out as my grandma begins to witness to him. Oh, I'm telling you, all the way to the car, she is just letting him have it. I mean, she, she is just going in, and I'm embarrassed. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I cannot believe that she is, she's doing this right now. I mean, this is where I play football. This is my school. Like, all, all of this, and, and she's winning. And we get to the car, and this kid, from the store to the car, he's got tears running down his face as she shared the love of Jesus with him. She's just sharing. And, and so that's, that, that, was, that was my grandma. That, that, that's like how she lived her life. So there was another time I was, I was in her car, and uh, we were waiting for my granddad to come out. And so we're in the car, and she never wasted a minute. And so I'm there, and she said, Dustin, let me ask you a question. I said, okay, grandma. And I, you know that. Like, if you're in the family, you know that. There's about to be a spiritual question that you do not know the answer of, and then you're going to feel bad about it. And so, like, I don't want to fail her in this moment. And she goes, do you know what the mystery of the word of God is. And I'm like, that sounds like a trick question. I mean, <laughs> the mystery of the word of God. I'm like, I'm, there's a New Testament and an Old Testament. I, I'm trying to think through, like, Jesus' last name isn't Christ. Um, I, I'm just trying to, like, you know, think through, like, what it could be. And finally, I'm like, Grandma, I don't know. I don't know what the mystery. And she goes, Dustin, it's Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. That is the mystery of the gospel. I'm like, all right, you know, that's great. Appreciate it. Great talk. And, but this, all of a sudden, my curiosity was aroused at what was the mystery of the gospel. And I want to take a couple moments today, and I want to reveal to you on the heels of this. I just like, this is just fresh in my mind from, from doing, uh, speaking at my grandmother's funeral. And, and this fresh, what is the mystery? Do you know the mystery that is hidden in the Word of God? See, the the Word of God is a mystery. 
The, the, the word of God is in disguise. The word of God is code. It, it has all kinds of symbols and, and, and all kinds of, of different shapes and forms. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it says the mystery, the mystery, this is what she's talking about. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, there's a mystery that was hidden. And in the Old Testament, the mystery was hidden. Christ is in the Old Testament, but you can't see him. Unless you know, it was hidden. So as the Old Testament was written and as the apostles and, and, and the, the early church read of the, the, old, the Old Testament, Christ was hidden. But Christ didn't remain hidden because as the New Testament came to be, there was a revealing of the light that was in the Old Testament. What was once behind a veil or what was once in disguise became apparent because we didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. At first, there was there was signs and there was prophecies and, and, and we, we should have been able to see it, but we couldn't see because it was veiled. But the Bible says that the mystery of Christ began to be revealed to us. The, the mystery was hidden, but then the mystery was revealed. It is it is a plan which could not have been understood simply by reading the Old Testament. The New Testament fully brings to light the divine truth that was spoken of in symbols, shadows, and figurative language. It is much like a nightlight in a room. One can see the shadows and darkened figures, but cannot see clearly until the ceiling light is turned on. When Jesus came, the light turned on. What had been shadows, and I think that's it. I think that's something. All of a sudden, the word began to reveal. The mystery explained the mystery as he walked along the earth. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in the scriptures, and look at this, concerning himself. So the mystery shows up on the scene and begins to explain the mystery. And he goes through from Moses to the prophets and he says, see, that was me. See that right there? That's me. Oh, in Judges? That's me. Oh, oh, oh yeah, in 2 Samuel? That was me. Oh, oh yeah, in Ezekiel? That, that was me. In, in Isaiah? That, that was me. He can you imagine sitting in that audience when Jesus says, hey, y'all, um, I know y'all got this memorized. Let me show you something. Because what has been a mystery to you is about to be revealed to you. For, for Simon Peter to say, you have the words of life, means that there was a discovery process that happened in his life. Because what was shadowed to him, or what was veiled to him, when he said, I can't leave you. You have the words of life. It was because there was a revelation that Jesus was not a form of light. He was the light. What was once a shadow has now become revealed. And that's when Jesus was talking with Simon Peter. And he said, who do people say that I am? And he says, surely you are the son of God. Some people said he was a prophet. You know why they said he was a prophet? Because it was a shadow. 
Some people said he was a great teacher. That's because they saw him as a figure. But Simon Peter had a revelation of who he really was. He was the Christ, the anointed one. He was the Messiah. And when the light turned on, the mystery became revealed. And all of a sudden he said, how can I leave you when you have the words of Christ? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 and 17. We know this passage of scripture. It talks about the armor of God. It talks about how we defend ourselves. In, in verse 13 it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the blessed breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, and watch this, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We learned this last week, that the, the Word of God is a double-edged sword that divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And he says, take up the sword of the Spirit. Every single part of the armor is defensive, except for the sword. It, the shield, your faith is defensive. It's a shield of faith. I, I'm protect the helmet of salvation. A helmet defends you. You don't use a shield in offense. You don't use a helmet in offense. But the sword, the word, is your offense. It is your weapon. It is what God has given you to fight. Whatever you walk through and whatever you face, it is his word. And so when I'm reading the scripture in Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, I begin to ask the question, how do we guard what has been entrusted to us? It's a great saying. It's a great challenge. It's a great exhortation. But how? How do we guard what has been entrusted to us? We guard it with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And to guard that good deposit, you have to know the Word. You have to make it a practice. Now, this is, this is where it gets practical. You have got to make it a practice to read, to memorize, and to speak the Word. I, in, in your language, the Word of God should come out of you. I, I, I had some uh, friends that I was practicing preaching with when I was, when I was young, and, and, and we would uh, get together, and um, we would all grab our Bibles, and this is, this is kind of like a drill that we would do. We'd all have our Bibles, and you'd open up to it and point to a scripture, and then you could point to any person in the group, and they would have to get up right then and preach on that subject for three minutes. Now, there's some crazy scriptures in there, so we had to get very creative. But we were attempting to get the word into us. And I'm going to tell you this. You've got to internalize this word. You have got to eat it. You have got to consume it. You have got to digest it. You have got to read it. You've got to write it. You've got to speak it. You've got to declare it. It's your sword. This is how you guard what has been entrusted to you. You take it and you speak it in whatever situation you have. We've said this before. For every problem, there is a promise. That promise is found in the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit. But to use the sword, to guard what has been entrusted to you, you have to know what it says. If you're dealing with fear, you got to know that perfect love casts out all fear. I'm just trying not to be afraid. 
Well, no, what you need is the perfect love of God that watches over you, that you can, not, you can know that you don't have to step into any fear because God loves you so much that he will watch over you and protect you. Jeremiah says that he's watching over his word to see that it is fulfilled. You've got to know what the word of God says. If you're going to use it, you've got to know it. Second practical thing is you have to apply it. And this is kind of a problem that we have is some of us know the word. We like to argue the word. We like to theologize about the word. We like to share the word to other people at key moments on Facebook. But we don't like to apply the word. To actually apply the word to our lives. The filter of the word of God directing how I live and how I move and how I operate in my life. See, a lot of people know his word, but to actually apply it, this is what we've been learning in this series, is that the word of God has to be the filter that is applied to my life, that all of my actions go through the filter of his word. If you do not have absolute truth, if you do not have a true north, if you don't really have an anchor, then you do, and the Bible talks about this all the time, you do what is right in your own eyes. And whenever the Israelites did what was right in their own eyes, it led, it led them to destruction. We cannot do what is right in our own eyes. What, what we have to determine as right has to be found in the Word of God. We have to apply the word. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do you know when the word works? When you work the word. That's how the word works. I've got to apply it. I've got to put it into practice. I've got to actually walk this thing out. I mean, we all know the scripture, love, bless your enemies, bless those who curse you, right? It's harder to do than it is to say. We, we, we know the scriptures. It says love is kind. It's just harder to live than it is to say. You know when we remember those scriptures a lot of times? When other people aren't operating according to those scriptures. It's easier to see. You know what? Jesus talks about this. He said, first remove the, the what do you say? The log out of your own eye so that you can then remove the speck out of your brother's eye. See, a lot, a lot of us, we're looking for the speck, but we've missed the log. I mean, the picture of this is just amazing, like a two-by-four, like coming out of your eye and then trying to get someone's, what is in us is more important than what's in them. The word needs to fit over us and over the way we live our lives and the way that we do business and the way that we love one another and the way that we worship. Do you know the Bible says that he's looking for worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth? How do we apply that? That means we don't go through the motions. We don't cruise control. We don't worship out of obligation. We don't worship just because we have to. No, we worship in spirit and in truth. The Bible says in his weakness, right? In our weakness, he is made strong. How do we apply that? We stop trying to mask our vulnerabilities. We stop trying to mask our weaknesses and realize, Paul said, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. He says, get ready. Here it comes. I'm, I'm going to talk about my weaknesses. I'm going to boast in all. So I'm going to boast in the things that I have gone through in my struggles because I know in those places, that's where God's strength abounds. I have to know the word. I have to apply the word. And this is where, as we start to conclude this series, we have to believe 
the word. Do you know when the word really comes alive in you? Is when you take it as truth and you believe it. It is important for you to study it. It's important for you to read it, to memorize it. But when your faith begins to be stirred to a point that you begin to believe what is written, it will change the entire outcome of your life. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As faith is developed in you and you begin to believe what is written, it is then that you can put into practice what it says and see the results of what it is saying. Listen, we will not change the way that we live if we don't really believe that what the word says is true. John chapter 5, verse 37, it says, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. We could spend like another hour just on the scripture, but I just have to like, I just got to, it's it's like painful, but I just got to like go over it quickly. Because what this is saying is it's saying your faith begins to generate. Your belief in the word of God begins to generate action. And it says that they begin to diligently study the scriptures, but they did not see the mystery that was hidden in the scripture. He was talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders that were proud and they were arrogant and they had made it a practice of studying the scriptures. So the scriptures studied are powerful in and of themselves, but the scriptures studied without the belief or without the identifying of what it's pointing to will rob you of the power that is packaged inside the Word of God. It says this, Jesus said, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. See, the the, the Bible by itself is a great book. It's a great moral code. It, It has great ideas and great thoughts. It'll help us live our lives better. But hidden in those pages is a mystery. Hidden in those pages is a person. And the scriptures were supposed to reveal a person. But religious people thought that they would diligently study the scriptures so that people could look to them. But they did not realize that by diligently studying the scriptures, they were supposed to see who was in them. And Jesus says, you have not believed these and you've studied them, but you missed me. And I'm going to tell you this, Jesus is hidden in the pages of your Bible. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. He is in all and he is all. It is Christ, the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one of God. He is the one to come and to save the world from its sins. He is the lamb without spot. He is pure and he is innocent. He was the sacrifice made once and for all so that all men at any time could come and have relationship with him. He is the mystery that is hidden within the pages. He is what Christ has revealed through this book, but people still study and miss him. Jesus is revealed in every book of the Bible. And John, we read this in verse 68. Peter says, where are we supposed to go? You have the words of life. Do you know when the word really begins to work in your life is when you begin to believe it to a point where you say you really do have 
the words of life. When you go through difficulty and you go to these pages for comfort. When you go through struggle and you, you go to this book and you look to find it. It's going to take a moment, but I just got to give this to you because the whole Bible, as we're in this Eat the Scroll, the whole Bible is pointing to Jesus. That, that, that is the mystery of the Word of God is that Christ was not just for the Jew. Christ was not just for Israel. Christ was for all. That is the mystery is Christ in us as Gentiles. Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Genesis, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs, and he's Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. We're not even halfway through the Bible yet. This is him in everything that we are. In the Song of Solomon, he's the loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband, forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist, crying, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he's our Savior. In Haggai, he's the restorer. In Zechariah, he's the fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. In Malachi, he's the son of, you guys all right? In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's the servant. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the savior of the world. In Romans, he's the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he's the rock that followed Israel. In 2 Corinthians, he's the triumphant one. In Galatians, he's your liberty. In Ephesians, he's the head of the church. In Philippians, he's your joy. In Colossians, he's your completeness. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is your hope. In First Timothy, he's your faith. In Second Timothy, he's your stability. In Philemon, he's your benefactor. In Titus, he is truth. In Hebrews, he is perfection. In James, he's the power behind your faith. In First Peter, he's your example. In Second Peter, he's your purity. In First John, he's your life. In Second John, he's your pattern. In Third John, he's your motivation. In Jude, he's the fountain of your faith. In Revelation, he is your coming king. He's the first, the last, the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation and the creator of all. That's Jesus hidden in the pages of your Bible. That is the mystery that has been revealed to you and to I. That is the hope of the world. That is our God. That is our King. And that is hidden within the pages of this book. I'm, I'm ready to run like a mile right now. Or for some of you like a marathon, like a little bit more than, than a mile. You're like a mile, really? That is Jesus in every single book revealed. It was masked in the past. But it's revealed to us now by his Holy Spirit. I was doing this service for my grandmother on Friday. I was flying to a conference on, uh, on Thursday. A deeper Wednesday. I flew to a conference on Thursday. And uh, I was on the plane and I was just asking the Lord, Lord, I want something special 
to speak at my grandmother's funeral. I, I just want something special. And my grand, grandma's name is Lois Margaret Howard. And, um, and, and so I was just like, Lord, I, I just need something special. And I remembered about this passage of Scripture, guard what has been entrusted to you. And I thought, man, that's so powerful. That was my grandmother. She watched over, she guarded what was been entrusted to her. So I was thinking about it. And I remember that in the beginning of that chapter, it says this gift was in your grandmother and was passed on to you. I thought, oh my goodness. So I, I ripped out my Bible, and, and uh, so I'm ripping through my pages and trying to find the scripture, and I turn to it. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want you to see what I saw. Just go ahead and put it up there, verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I said, I got to find this. Do you have that passage of scripture? 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'll read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois. That's what it says. I don't think they have it. I wanted you to see it. And in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you as well. I'm on the plane, and... I just like lose my composure. At first, I was like excited. I just like punched the seat in front of me. And the guy's like, What are you doing? I was like, Sorry, sorry. Then I started crying. And then the lady next to me is like, Oh, like, you know what? And um, it's crazy how God reveals His word. It's crazy how He just illuminates in a moment. See, there's a mystery hidden in the pages. There's, that's why we have to eat the scroll. It's a mystery. I just remembered. I just remembered something. Yeah, there's a grandmother. Yeah, guard what has been entrusted. What is that? And I turn. This was in your grandmother, Lois. That's her name. And I shared this at her funeral, and I had all my cousins come up. There's like 27 of us. And literally. And we prayed that what was in my grandmother would be in us as well. So I want to tell you something about the Word of God and this mystery and as we eat the scroll. Whatever you need, it has. It's, it's consumed. You, you have to consume this book and it will become light to you and life to you. And there's a process of discovery, but this is my prayer as we conclude this series is that we would say what Simon Peter said. This is the word of life. Where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to get our compass? You have the words of life. We will not go anywhere. And you know what? This is what our nation really needs to say. This is what churches really need to say. Is This is the word of God. And this is the words of life. Where else are we supposed to go? What other manual are we supposed to use? Whatever book are we supposed to get our instruction for? No, Jesus, you have the words of life. And we will not leave them. No matter if it gets difficult. No matter if it's not politically correct. No matter if it's not comfortable. We will bind ourselves to these words. Because in them are the words of life. I'm, I'm telling you, this word will transform you. It will revolutionize you. It will comfort you in pain. It, it, it will be revelation to you. 
in times of struggle. It will be insight to you in times of confusion. It's in this book. It says Ezekiel took the scroll and he ate it. He said he filled himself with it. And then God said, now go and speak. As we wrap this message up and this series up, my challenge, my prayer is that we would consume the word of God because it will fuel the assignment that is on our lives. And just as God showed me just like a little, we call it like a rainbow war, something just pops off the page. It's like, oh my goodness, like God, you're speaking to me. As you bury yourself in these scriptures, the same exact thing will happen to you as, the, as God just begins to speak to you right where you are in whatever situation you're in. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.